0: James Bible Study, Part 8, On the Tongue, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways and if any one does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well look at the ships also though they are so large and are driven by strong winds and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grape vine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Note. The deacon or lay leader running this Bible study would do well to spark conversation between the members of their home congregation regarding sins of the tongue and to go over strategies and disciplines for helping us gain that control. Having discussed the bulk of St. James' theology in the first two chapters, with him now moving to practical considerations, we now have more breathing room for honest discussion between believers regarding our faults and correcting them. Introduction. St. James spends the latter part of the second chapter discussing the need for a true faith, which produces good works. While he has already agreed that we are justified by faith before God, it is a different story where the hearts of others and our own hearts are concerned. One cannot merely proclaim their faith before others and assume that this makes them a Christian. To the contrary, when living faith in Christ produces good works, we witness the telos of faith, Hence, Abraham's offering of Isaac coming after his justification by faith in Genesis 15, verse 6. Having been assured of our salvation and genuineness by faith in the promises of God, our works turn around and bolster our assurance even further. Having established this as a crucial motivation for our actions— the author changes topics to begin his long discourse on the tongue, teaching and the proper use of both. We might be confused by this, since he spoke so heavily and harshly on good works. Why change the topic to the tongue when he could discuss charity more or honoring the Ten Commandments? The answer is likely twofold. First, he already mentioned alms as a full half of what pure religion means, James 1, verse 27, and brought it up as an essential aspect of the good works being a reflection of true faith, that is, James 2, verses 15 through 17. He has already brought up the royal law, or the second greatest commandment in James 2, 8, which is explained by the latter table of the Ten Commandments. Second, he writes to an audience who already knows the gospel, meaning he likely assumes they know catechesis regarding good works. So now, in urging the Christian to live consistently according to the law of liberty, it is time to address a vector for misbehavior and sin that they perhaps had not considered, the tongue. Verses 1 and 2 say, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. The first priority in matters of the tongue is on teaching. Obviously, by teacher, it is assumed that this is according to the specific office of teacher in the early church, not just anyone who teaches on any topic. Yet there is a kernel of wisdom in applying this to spheres of life outside the church. A school teacher is accountable to parents and society for helping to raise up a new generation of adults. If that teacher intentionally or unintentionally sabotages the students' lives by giving them erroneous, subversive, or downright foolish teachings, then this does a disservice to the whole and potentially ruins the students. Thus teachers are judged more harshly. So it is with the teachers of the church. One wrong doctrine, one erroneous method, or even a single comment being blown out of proportion can mean souls go on the path to hell, or the dynamics of congregational life become disordered. Thus, the teacher in the church, whether pastor or theologian, or anyone who runs a Bible study like this one, must be careful to execute the duties of their vocation with utmost sincerity, humility, and thoroughness. They will receive a harsher judgment should they fail, and a worse damnation if they are false believers peddling heresy. St. James says that, Not many should occupy this office on account of the hazards involved with it. New converts may be full of zeal, perhaps even broaching the so-called cage stage in which they are cruel, judgmental know-it-alls. They should be instructed by more mature believers to remain a student for a long time before discussing doctrinal matters with people. At the same time, though, it is inescapable that almost everyone at some point is called to teach. St. James says, We who teach, not necessarily we who are ordained to the teaching office. He says not many should occupy the office, But when a father must teach his family in devotions, a mother must teach her children, and even when the Christian layman interacts with the skeptic and answers questions, all of these are called in that moment and must be aware of the harsher judgment. Thus all of us must take care not to stumble when called to instruct in matters of the faith and especially so for those ordained to teach as vocation. Verses 3 through 6 say, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. These verses apply to daily life just as they do to teaching. A single word can make the difference between someone who is saved and someone who is damned. One person says Jesus is my savior, while the other says Jesus is not my savior. In the same way, a marriage is preserved or destroyed with the absence or addition of a single word, I love you versus I don't love you. While these examples may seem obvious, others are less so. During the debates concerning Christ's divinity around the time of the Nicene Council, it was found that one single letter, iota made all the difference in the world for whether the creed would be faithful or heretical. Wars have been waged for less. So too can even a stutter or a bad tone of voice destroy entire relationships between friends and family members. Bad communication, whether intentional or unintentional, has led to such massive suffering, that we cannot tally all the damage it has done, such is the power of the tongue, our power of speech, leading Christians to understand that we must take great care in all that we say, not just regarding what we teach. Verses 7 through 12 say, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. St. James is being hyperbolic in his analogy here. Obviously, as it is doubtful that anyone could tame a giant squid or a flea. But the takeaway he wants to impart to believers is that the tongue is untameable. We cannot, for better or for worse, fully control every single syllable we pronounce or every letter we write. Having warned us regarding the teaching office in the first verse, we recognize the dangers of teaching. What should frighten us is how we are incapable of speaking perfectly, let alone teaching perfectly. If we all stumble in many ways, as he says then the ability of a teacher to teach rightly concerning the word of God must be a gift from God himself. Mistakes in the teaching office are from our sin, leading the pastor and theologian to understand that their vocation must be carried out with penitent faith and prayer for protection. If the tongue is untamable, how shall the believer proceed? Of course, we must repent of mixing the venom of cursing with the blessing we pronounce on others and seek absolution from our Lord. St. James says this contradictory situation should not be blessing and cursing at the same time because we are regenerate believers. Yet on account of being simultaneously saint and sinner, we cannot help ourselves." So if it is in fact happening on account of our wicked tongues, then we must confess our sins. Prayer, confession, and praise are good uses of the tongue, and these are to be encouraged by all. Yet from there we must do the work of a believer, seeking to control our tongues as best as possible, if we cannot tame it then we must remember that the best way to control an untamed animal is to cage it, and only release it when necessary. If we are afraid that we might say something sinful, then it is best to say nothing. If we must speak, then we must speak with clarity, and stop ourselves if we go too far, lest we take God's name in vain, dishonor our parents, bear false witness, engage in gossip, or defraud someone of what is rightfully theirs. A caged animal bites no one. May we remember this when communicating.